0: Thank you, Tyler, for that nice introduction. Yeah, I, I'm surprised you didn't call me the old elder of the city, though, I <laughs> forgot because I am resembling that, um, but it is a privilege to be with you this morning. Um, I am going to talk a little bit about resiliency, but first I want to just, uh, I think you guys have been, you guys have been in the book of Daniel the last little while, haven't you? I want to say a couple words about Daniel, and it's it's very relevant to the topic of of this, what, what we're talking about this morning. And so there was four things that Daniel was known for. And, um, you know, he lived 2,500 years ago. That was a long time. But a, a, a number of things about Daniel have remained, not only some of the, the key things that we know from our, our, our church experience, but even in our culture today. You know that the Daniel in the lion's den is one of the most, most, most well-known Bible stories that there is. Almost all of us who went to Sunday school when we were kids, we learned about Daniel in the lion's den. And there's other things about Daniel that, we're, that's, that remain in our culture too. How many of you have, when something was sort of imminent to happen, have heard the term, was written on the wall you ever heard that and that's that's a that's Daniel's legacy of of how God used him has stood the test of time if you if you um, are a student of eschatology certainly you'd be familiar with all of the prophecy that we see in Daniel I'm not going to go down that road today but there was a couple of other things that Daniel was particularly known for and as you, as you are well aware of the story, when he was pulled um, into, in, into captivity, a 15-year-old guy that you know, was just barely a man in that culture, and he was pulled in c- into captivity, and his nation was, was defeated in war, and he was a spoil of war, and he got taken into this place, yet he remained faithful. You know the story very well about how he negotiated so he didn't have to defile himself by eating the king's meat that was dedicated to, to idols. At 15 years old, he was ready to face death if he needed to for the principle, the main principle that he felt he needed to maintain in captivity. <clears throat> so we see resilient faith in, in Daniel. The other thing we see in Daniel, is he was very committed to prayer. Prayer was the thing that got him in trouble. What got him thrown into the lion's den is because he was committed to, to prayer. Probably all, I mean, he, he went he was, went into captivity at age 15. The, the, the lion's den story was quite a bit longer after that. He was committed all those years to the three times a day to prayer. So the elderly, he had a legacy of prayer we see in that story. The other thing that he had a legacy that we see is he was he was a um, uh, a faithful servant and he was <clears throat> actually a better word probably is that he was um, uh, an, he had integrity in his service he, he did not even though he was in captivity, and these people he had every reason to he had every reason to not like them, to hate them, to resist what was happening to him, yet in the midst of that, he was faithful in service, and that's what God commanded his people to do when they went into captivity, was to help prosper the land, even though they were in captivity. So that's those p- points about Daniel I want I want you to think about today. Uh, so he had resilient faith. So the question that Tyler already asked is, how resilient is your faith today? In the, in this season of adversity, how, f- how resilient is your faith? Or maybe a better way of asking the question is, how fragile is your faith? That word gets used a lot in these days, the fragility of people's um, beliefs. We see that all. All kinds of ways that that has been Manifest the last two or three years We see this over and over again People too fragile being snowflakes Stuff like that where the least little Thing seems to Bother people nowadays there's no depth In their resilience How fragile are you? Do you feel like an alien In your own land right now? Some of you maybe do feel That way more like a captive In Babylon have you do you have trouble loving people like Jesus loves people like Jesus loves you are you struggling with that when you see the 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 things around you do you, do you struggle do i really love them like Jesus loves them are you submitted to his sovereignty his authority and the then the direction the mission of the king those are good those are all questions that that we have and I don't, I don't want to speak for all of you guys. I do feel a little bit like-minded with you, but I think we've been struggling with this for the last two or three years in our culture here in America. We've been struggling. Man, I've, people have disappointed me. People have, have, have left. People have, have abandoned us. I don't know about you guys, but we, we still have about a third of our congregation that, that, that is gone. Some of them have just moved away, some of them didn't like decisions we made around COVID. Either way, they, they thought some of them were thought we were too strict. Some of them were thought we were too loose, and some of them just lost the habit of coming to church. So it feels, it feels, it has felt different. And there's reasons that we can be discouraged in that. And I am going to get to the encouraging part. I, <laughs> but I, there's a couple of couple more things I want I want just want you to think about. The reasons that you might be discouraged. And the first one is the world has changed. Maybe uh, like a lot of you, when, when, when COVID, um, after the first month or so of COVID, I was thinking, boy, I'm just hoping we can get back to normal. The back to normal was what a lot of people were hoping for. Well, just get past this and get back to normal. Well, one of the things that, that really become apparent through that process was, um, we're not going back to normal. There was, there was what I what I call a, a historical pivot, had taken place, in our world, and not just not just in our community, not just in our country, but around the world. There's been a historical pivot, and there's been, lots of those in history. Jesus coming on the scene, was a, a historical pivot. But m- even when in more more modern days, like. was a historical pivot. Going through the the flying on an airplane nowadays is a whole lot different than it was 25 years ago. Some of these things have been, you know, wars. Some of them have been technological um, changes. Certainly when the printing printing press was one of those, when people were able to get their Bible in their hands, that was a pivotal, a historical pivotal moment where things change and it was just like when the Israelites were taken out of Egypt once they crossed the Red Sea there was no going back and uh, I use a phrase quite often called there is no going back to Egypt when when I hear somebody whining about about the good old days I say there is no going back to Egypt (laughs) (laughs) (coughs) the good old days and I and in my good old days were, were were quite a while back and when I hear somebody talking about that, what it, what it was like growing up in the 50s and the 60s, there was some really cool stuff. Better music than today, certainly. <laughs> <coughs> better cars. There's a lot of stuff that was better than. There was some more freedom, but there was a lot of stuff in our culture that was just horrible, that was ugly. That was before the Civil Rights Bill was passed. That was before the we had an EPA where we started cleaning up stuff. We were still messing stuff up. So the good old days, There's there are things about the past about history about what we what we had that yes we want to pull forward but history only goes in one direction so that's the point I wanted to make here we need to focus on living in the new place we as the church uh, we as any everybody needs to do that if you if you really are caught up and not not being able to accept the new you're going to be sad forever. <coughs> The other thing that has changed is our country has changed, and a lot of people feel a lot of disappointment and distress around the, the changes that have taken place in our country. And I don't want to get too carried away with this, but certainly you guys are well aware that the nation is politically is more polarized than it's ever been since the Civil War. And I heard a senator a, f- a few weeks back talk about the difference between when he first got into the Senate and the way it is now. He said. Certainly, there's always been political rivals. There was always heated debates. There was always uh, people who, would, who might get mad at each other, but there was also uh, a desire to look for common ground, to try and negotiate, to try and maybe uh, compromise in some ways. He said, now it seems like we're enemies, and you, you'll see that sometimes. The votes just right down party lines, complete, complete split. And he says, it's not a very comfortable thing, and it, it's hard to get anything done when people view each other as enemies rather than just simple rivals, There's a lot of lost credibility for our, our institutions. I don't want to say too much about that. I think you know what I mean. Many of our social values are questioned these days. A lot of things, particularly for us as Christians, what, what we believe, the Christian worldview that has shaped so many of the things about our culture, most of those values or a lot of those values are being questioned. And a lot of sin is both acceptable and legal. So there has been a change in our nation. It seems that our government has lost its fear of God. And that fear, I believe, has been one of the restraining things that has kept us sort of healthy as a a nation is when you make decisions and and you feel like you're accountable to God, you put a much more thought into those decisions than if you don't have any fear of God if you don't believe that God is real or anything about it is then you're going to make decisions based upon just human decision making and 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 we, and it's been proven time and time again we see it in scripture that as soon as a nation abandons God starts to make its own human decisions it goes in one direction in fact that's just the reality, and it doesn't matter whether you're talking about um, your household or whether you're talking about your community, it doesn't matter whether you're talking about your church. The further you get away from God's plan, the worse it's going to go for you. Judgment is going to come with sin. The wages of sin is death. So a nation that turns its back on God can, ex- can fully expect to face judgment, to have to deal with the repercussions of going down that path. So our nation has, our nation has changed. Um, The third thing that has changed, but let me back up the truck here a little bit about this. So we do know that the answer to that problem is Christ. So the only way that there's gonna be any change of direction in our government is if there's more hearts, more people, more hearts that have a biblical worldview in their decision making and feeling that accountability to God. So, so um, our work is cut out for us. The last thing is that the church in America has changed as well. The church is divided into many factions, probably more now than it ever has been. Some of them is, is due to political alignment, but it doesn't matter. It, we're, we're, we're divided, and the world sees that. They seize that division, seize our hypocrisy and all that stuff, and it, it leaves many wondering if the basis of our faith is true. <coughs> Another word that you see a lot used these days is deconstruction. You know what I mean by that? When people, when, they, when they're talking about people deconstructing from their faith, walking away from their faith, a lot of prominent, so-called prominent um, people, <clears throat> have walked away from their faith, and it brings great discouragement. The, the couple that I'm familiar with, a couple people that I used to, I used to uh, read some of their material, and liked it quite a little bit. They've they've walked away, so we we see what appears to be a bit of a falling away in our nation. So let me give you a couple of statistics, though, just for fun. <coughs> in actuality, and and I know you're going to tell me statistics. Statistics can be shaped any way you want to. And that, that's true, and so I'm shaping them the way I want to. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> if I told you that today, or last year, 2022, that there was a poll taken, research done, and that there's actually more Christians in America today than there was in 1972. Does that sound like a real believable thing? Yeah, I don't know. I, didn't, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't believe it if I was you. It doesn't feel like that to me. <clears throat> but in actuality, according to this, this poll, there's about 20 million more Christian people who say that they're Christians in America today than there was 50 years ago. But there is a significant difference. Um, and, the, and and here, here goes a couple more good st- statistics for you. In 1972, 90% of the people polled said that they were Christians. 90%. Um, now, I was there in 1972, and I didn't feel like 90% of the population was a Christian back then. So one of the things that, that qualifies this is if you put a piece of paper in somebody in somebody's face and it had all the religions listed on it, and they ask you to pick one, a lot of people in America would pick Christian because they know they're not another one. Okay, so those are kind of cultural Christians, but nonetheless, there was enough of a Christian worldview and and Christian values in the culture, and the fear of God. Even if you weren't a believer, you still respected. You still respected the Bible, you still respected people who were believers, and you're likely to say, yes, I I was. I was one of those people. I was a a cultural Christian. I had a little bit of familiarity when I was in Sunday school, but in 1972, I didn't want anything to do with the church. So it was hard for me to see that that there was 90%. About 5% of the population was what they now call nuns, non-affiliated, and about another 5% of the population in 1972 was part of another faith. So 90% said they were Christians, 5% were nuns, and 5% were another faith. Last year when they took the same, same kind of research in this polling, <coughs> um, they found that only 64% of the people in the United States said that they were Christians, which is down considerably as a percentage from 1972. Uh, still about five percent of the people, five, six percent of the people who claim to be another faith in the United States. but then thirty two percent were these nuns, non-affiliated. And I would I would put in that category of a non-affiliated, recently non-affiliated, people who have walked away from the church. They say that a lot of these nuns are <clears throat> are people who grew up in church and walked away from it, went off to college, walked away. Walked away from their faith. Nonetheless, there's significant number of them in the country today, and this is where where how come we get our our perception that we're not the same kind of Christian nation we once were. 110 million people out of the 350 million or 335 million people in the United States are in this non category. So a third of everybody, everybody that you see, is a non believer. And with that, with that high of percentage in, in conjunction with the number of people who say they're Christians that are just cultural Christians, you can see whether why they have so much impact on our nation when it comes to making laws and, and the things that we see that we wonder about is this huge, huge amount of people in the United States that, that no longer view the Christian worldview as the way to live. Now... Uh, Even though we are the majority, we no longer dominate the culture. Many are no longer attracted to us, but fearful of us. I don't know if you've encountered people like that, but um, uh, I have. I have encountered people who don't want to, if I I have any kind of conversation, I don't want to talk. They know I'm a believer, and actually they're perfectly willing to talk to me about anything but that. I'll, I'll talk to you about anything but, but your faith. They're they're fearful. They're fearful of us. But now here's the good news. From here on out, it's going to be better news here. But we are not done. Certainly, God is not done with us. In fact, I'm I'm saying that we probably have as great of opportunity as there as ever been there has ever been in this nation to reach people for Christ. They say that a lot of these nuns, even though they have kind of rejected the church they rejected us they it does not mean that they don't that they're not interested in in faith they're not um, they haven't all become atheists in the sense that they, they believe that it's absolutely wrong they just they just haven't found the same Jesus that you know and that is the wonderful opportunity we have um, there's a fellow that I, I listened to last year went to his little seminar to kind of uh, describe the best way to describe the situation that we're living in this time of adversity <coughs> that we're li- living in um, his name was Dr. Darryl Bach he's a well-known author and he's a he is a um, teaches down at Dallas Theological Seminary and I got a chance to listen to him and even though I'm not a big fan of sports analogies from the pulpit this one I, I kind of liked it made sense to me and uh, there is such a thing. See if you see if you agree with us. There is such a thing as the home team advantage in sports. If you're any of you are Seahawks fans, you're you're certainly familiar with the 12-man phenomena, that shakes their, uh, shakes the stadium enough to where the seismograph picks it up. And and even if you're not a big sports fan. When I, was, when I was a kid in Blaine, I, I grew up in Blaine here, went to Blaine High School, and I was part of a championship football team for, for Blaine High School in 1967. And I can tell you that the, the home team advantage is a very real thing. There, there's so much excitement in, in, at the game when your stadium is full of people who support you. You go downtown, people like you. They they encourage you. They have a lot of good things to say about your team. The whole community, the whole community supports you. That's quite a bit different if you're opposing team. The opposing team, you're still in the game. You're still necessary. But when you go to another town to play, you don't get any of that. In fact, you're likely to encounter some hostility if you if you walk if you walk around town and sit, tell people I, I'm from the opposing team you know they're, they're not going to embrace that so well and he says the change that we've seen in, in America for the church is rather than be in the home team where we're embraced or at least respected by by our communities we're more like the opposing team the adversary still necessary still tolerated, at this point in history anyway still tolerated pretty well but not supported not encouraged Uh, but once again we're still in the game God's plans have not been deterred at all although we are operating a culture more like the first century than the last we still have great opportunity to bring hope nuns are the the mission field for us So here are the five things I want to leave you with today to help you build resilience. (coughs) This is the same things I shared with my own congregation uh, last month when we started the new year to try and encourage them in this time of adversity to, to just step away from the discouragement and work on building our resilience. So the first one, the first thing that I have for you is to refresh or recalibrate your knowledge of Jesus and his mission. And what I mean by that is read the Gospels in the book of Acts. <clears throat> it's, not, it's not a very long read. I, I, I want to encourage you, um, <clears throat> find a very readable translation like the New Living Testament or the CEV, this one that, I, that I'm using now that I, I read, read through th- that just recently myself. Just to see what this translation—the difference between the one I normally use—but just read it. Read it like a book. Don't worry about what might be. Just let. Just let what gets in gets in. Don't worry about what you don't understand, or if something trips you up. You can go back and study that later. Just. Just read it. Let. Let what gets in get in, because I'll guarantee you, you will be blessed and you will be refreshed by that simple ex- exercise. Just the. the the, the Gospels, and the book of Acts. It's about 100 pages, 100, 110 pages. Uh, I know some of you maybe aren't great readers. You don't like to read too much. I know there's probably a number of you who read lots of books in a year. 250 page book or 100 page book is not a big stretch. And for, for us to be equipped to be resilient, we need to be refreshed on what it is who, who Jesus is. I mean, actually, I got a list of things here. <coughs> um, I, I, you know, I, di- I told you I did this recently. Hearing Jesus in his own words and get clarity of who he is, who we are, how he wants us to be, and, and what he wants us to do are all in there. And there's absolute clarity, it's very, especially if you use a real simple, a, a real simple translation. Now I got to, I got so inspired, and this is not to just brag about this because this is the second time I've I've did this as a result of a pivot in life. When I first retired, I thought I'm going to be doing something completely different in life. Now I've I had a 38-year f- in my workplace long history there. Life's going to be completely different for me in retirement. So I <clears throat> I made the point of reading the the, the gospels and. And Acts, and found what I'm just described to you. I just did it again this time this fall because coming out of this in this post-COVID world, I felt refreshment was a good thing to do, and and it did. It was a blessing to me, and I encourage you to do the same. And if you go further, end up reading the whole New Testament, Um, you'll also find quite a little bit in there about. Facing persecution and dealing with false teachers, which are other big things for us to think about today. Okay, number two is renew or revive your relationship with Jesus. And what I mean by this is confirm your identity in Christ. I mean confirm it. Are you really a Jesus follower? And uh, <clears throat> Does the King of Glory live in your heart? Does what you do and say look like you are a real disciple. Does what we do and say look like we are a real disciple to people who either don't know Christ or it doesn't matter are we showing up as true disciples true followers of Jesus because I think that that makes a difference in the world today Who, who you identify as and with speaks language in today's culture so many words and labels do not mean what they originally did once in a while I will get asked are you a Christian <clears throat> and I'll say I used to say well sure yeah I am uh, but now if I if I answer like that someone say well what kind of Christian are you okay well I so said what do you mean well are you are you a conservative Christian or are you a a progressive Christian, and, and, and so I, st- st- I start having to to def- to defend something that t- that is a waste of time. So now I just simply said, I'm a Jesus follower because that, that doesn't have any different uh, interpretation than just saying saying putting a label on 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 yourself like, oh yeah, I'm a conservative Christian. So as soon as I say that, if I say that, I immediately am going to turn off. About half the people I meet, because they they 're soured on conservative Christians. If I say i 'm a progressive Christian, i 'm going to lose a lot of friends. Um, just, <laughs> just, just, just kidding. <laughs> just, just, just kidding my point though my, my point is that w- when you identify with something, it has it, it has a language now that it didn 't used to have. It means something. people make decisions. <laughs> based upon the badge that you're wearing so what I'm suggesting to you is uh, we, we need to be authentic don't misunderstand me I'm not saying I'm not saying that we, we we can't be authentic I am saying though that we need to be careful about what we identify if we identify with anything other than with the king and his kingdom if people look at us and they don't see anything, or if they hear what we, what we say we, we label ourselves as, if they're not seeing the king in the kingdom, then we probably have done something that isn't helpful. I don't want to say it's wrong, but we've done something that isn't helpful. You can turn off a lot of people by who you say you are, and you can encourage a lot of people by who you say you are. So just paying attention to that. <clears throat> um, the third thing is be encouraged by the good stuff. I, I love like what, what Tyler said this morning about what's going on there in Asbury. The 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 I've been paying a lot of attention to it this last week. I've been watching a lot of different stuff and of course the critics have come out and of course the people who want to co op it and jump on something something else have come out. But it appears to be pretty authentic to me. The three th- the three pillars that I look for that was I was really encouraged by was the commitment to worship, to prayer, and to repentance was pretty evident in the people who were experiencing that. So I, I can get, I can, I can get into that. I like that stuff. But my point here is, be encouraged by the good stuff. There's a lot of good stuff going on in the world. Um, you, some of you are, are probably well aware that there's been a, a huge in the last two years. There's been a huge. Um, amount of coming to the Lord in Iran, um, and it's primarily a lot of of evangelism by women in Iran. And I was watching a a guy talking about that not too long ago. Actually there was a woman who was talking about it. She says, how come they were they were examining why is it so effective this evangelism that these women are doing? And what she says is we have, women have a very distinct advantage in Iran, and that kind of challenges our, our normal thinking, it's pretty oppressive for women there. She says we have a very distinct advantage, she says we're already treated like second class citizens, we have no rights, most of us have been beaten or raped or some, something like, like that, so, so we, and they don't pay attention to us, so we can interact with each other, the women can interact with each other freely. So they, could, they, they can share the gospel like gangbusters, and they've, they've brought a ton of people to Christ. If men try to do that, they be executed immediately. So these women have been able to then quietly influence their husbands for Christ. A lot of them become then, you know, they, don't try, they try not to stand out. But, but there's been a huge movement. It's been one of the—two years ago, the conversions in Iran was the highest in the world— people coming to Christ. And there's a ton of stories like that. In in Israel there's been a, a move of God. There's been more Jewish people coming to Christ in in Israel last year and the year before, since the first century, when the first ones came. So all over the world cool stuff is going on, cool stuff's going on in our community where God is moving. And that's what you need to to Look for to encourage yourself in this because God is not deterred by any of this foolishness that we see around us. So that's the point. Look for the, the good stuff. And then number four is to encourage you with the ministry and the mission. In a world of bad news, be the good news in what we do. Our time is now. <coughs> I, I mentioned this just a minute ago. We need to fully appreciate the time that we are in in history. This is our time in history. We have a mantle. <clears throat> we have the mantle of teaching and reaching and serving this generation for the kingdom. I heard a guy say not too long ago, and I, I agree with this: that this is a great time to be alive. If you if you are if you want to try and Bring people in the kingdom of God. This, in the United States, this is, this is one of the best times that there's ever been in history. And that's counterintuitive to a lot of us. We, we're not thinking it's going in that direction. He says, because there's a, hungry, there's a hunger for the gospel out there with people who don't know that they're hungry. But he said, the, the mission field, a lot of the mission has come to us. A lot of the immigrants have, that have come to the United States they're open to the gospel. So there's a whole bunch of, it's a great time to be alive and it's on us. This is our time. There's nobody else that's going to come along and do it for us. We can't depend upon the people who did it before us. We can't depend upon the people who are going to do it after us because in fact is, if we, don't, if we don't do our job, it's not going to be good on that end. So our time is now. Um, so I encourage you to find a place, and a way to serve as a church like like um, Tyler said earlier you guys I I admire you guys you are known in the community for your service so I commend you on that I would also just try to encourage you to find a way to pray more either in your closet or with others Daniel's example was a was a good one Uh, he had the habit of praying three times a day for a long, long time. The habit of of prayer is one that we need in this day that we live in. Throughout Scripture and today, we see amazing things happening as a direct result of prayer. And then the final thing I'll have for you here is be filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, we talked a little bit about that. Tyler talked a little bit about that earlier today. Um, Jesus said he is the vine and we are the branches. We were created to produce fruit. But apart from him, we can do nothing. Fortunately, the Holy Spirit enables us. We are actually like, uh, you know, I don't, I could, I could preach a long time on the, on the Holy Spirit. But the way that we show up in the world is we're more like extension cords with the Holy Spirit. So <clears throat> you might have some activity over here. You might, have, you might be working with a lot of people. You might have a lot of stuff going on, a lot of work going on for the kingdom. But if you're not plugged in on this end, if you're not plugged into the source, to the power source, then really there's a, the fruit that you're expecting in this end is not likely to materialize, certainly not very easily, if you're not being enabled by the Holy Spirit. And on the other end, there's, there are people who, <coughs> who, who are plugged in here, but they got nothing going out the other end. They become like the Dead Sea. They got a lot of they got a lot of stuff coming in. I I I know people like this who, they're just perpetual students. They can't get enough education, and I'm talking about theological education. They go to school. They go to school. They go to school. They they go to every seminar they can possibly get to, and then, but they've got no time to do effective things in the kingdom that bears fruit. They're just learning, learning, filling themselves up. I don't want. I don't. I don't want to accuse anybody of, of spiritual gluttony, um, but sometimes it looks like that. Sometimes people don't have enough time to serve because I'm continuously just filling up myself, and it kind of evaporates in the air. So that we've got to let the Holy Spirit flow through us, fill us, flow through us, and and for the things to happen. And then my parting, my parting thought here is. Um, let's be people of influence be full of faith grace and kingdom knowledge be full of hope and eagerly anticipate Jesus return and that's what I have here this morning Thank you.